There is a deep human desire for the truth. We don't always accept the truth when we hear it. We believe lies and misdirection and foolishness. Sometimes we prefer to be ignorant. But I think at the deepest level of who we are, we want someone, anyone, to tell us the truth. Once there was a Jewish prophet told by God to preach to a wicked city. He was told to bring the truth to that city, but he actually fled in the opposite direction. He got into a boat with a bunch of guys who didn't know much about God, and a horrible storm brewed overhead, the kind of storm that sinks boats. But by his mercy and grace and love, God calmed that storm. The prophet ended up in a place of death the Jews call Sheol. But the prophet's story wasn't over when he ended up in that pit. On the third day, he was released from Sheol, and he went to that wicked city to preach the message. And against all odds, against all expectations, the terrible people of that city repented. The prophet came with a message of judgment, and yet God showed mercy. He came with the message of truth that these wicked people desperately wanted and needed to hear. And the Jewish prophet I'm talking about is named Jonah. God told him to go to Nineveh, a wicked and racist and oppressive and violent city of the Assyrian Empire. You could not imagine a worse place to be, especially if you were a Jewish prophet. The Assyrians, this empire that the the Jews hated so much, conquered Ten of their tribes in northern Israel took captives from that city back to Nineveh. They were an empire-building, nation-destroying enemies of God's people. There was no way Jonah would ever go to preach to his enemies. So instead of going east to Nineveh, to Assyria, he goes in the opposite direction to Spain, to Tarshish in the west. He gets into a boat with a bunch of pagans, and this horrible storm comes upon the ship, and it's obvious that this is Jonah's fault. His sin is being punished by God in the storm. And so the sailors on that ship cry out to their gods with no help whatsoever. But Jonah knows the real problem. It's him. He says, throw me in the sea and this storm will stop. The sailors know that he's right, so they end up praying to Jonah's God, look, do not make us guilty of this innocent blood. And they toss him into the sea. Right when Jonah splashes into the water, thinking he's going to drown, we are told the Lord provided a great fish to swallow him up. Three days later, Jonah is spit out of the fish onto dry land, and he goes straight to Nineveh. No surprises there. He does not want to test God again. But when he gets to the city of Nineveh, instead of crafting some beautiful, truth-filled sermon all about God's justice and mercy, he says these words. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. He doesn't talk about God's mercy. He doesn't talk about God's love. He doesn't put any work into this sermon because he wants it to be the worst sermon possible. 
Because let's face it, he doesn't want his sermon to work. He doesn't even want to go to Nineveh in the first place because he hates the Ninevites. He wants this sermon to fail and he wants God to blow them to smithereens. But against all odds, the terrible Ninevites repent. This is what the passage of Scripture says. The people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaim a fast and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He made a proclamation by the decree of the king and his nobles. No human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth. They shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. For who knows? Who knows? God may yet relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. Of all the characters to mention God's mercy in this book called Jonah, it is not the prophet Jonah. The Ninevites. And they are absolutely right. God turns from their fierce, from his anger He doesn't punish Nineveh. He relents from his plan to destroy the city. And the one person at the end of this story who cannot believe what God has done is Jonah. And this is his complaint. He says this. Listen to these words so carefully. He says, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled at the beginning. I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishment. And now, Lord, take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. He's actually quoting scripture right there. And you can hear his tone. I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were going to be merciful. What's so amazing about this is the Ninevites wanted to hear the truth even though it convicted them. But Jonah didn't want the whole truth. He only liked part of the truth about God. He only liked God's justice, God's wrath, God's punishment, God's concern for sin. He doesn't like the truth about God's mercy and compassion and love because sometimes we want the truth but we don't want all of the truth. Sometimes we want all of the truth but not all of the truth. Once upon a time There's a Jewish prophet told by God to preach to a wicked city. He got into a boat with a bunch of guys who didn't know much about God, and a horrible storm brewed, the kind of storm that sinks ships. 
but graciously God calmed the storm. The prophet ended up going to that wicked city to preach the message. And shockingly, the terrible people he was sent to welcomed him at first. But by the end of the week, they rejected his message. They hated him so much that they killed him, and he ended up in a place of death that the Jews call Sheol. He came with a message of truth and forgiveness that these wicked people needed to hear, but his message didn't exactly fit with their preconceived notions of the truth. I'm talking about a Jewish prophet named Jesus. God sent Jesus to a wicked city called Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a corrupt city under the rule of the Roman Empire. You couldn't imagine a worse place to go if you were a Jewish prophet. Jerusalem always rejected the prophets God sent to them. There was no good reason for Jesus to give this city a chance. But he does. He traveled around the country preaching the message God sent with him. And one of his favorite methods of travel was by boat with his disciples. They always learned something when they got on a boat with Jesus. And one time, this this horrible storm almost capsizes their boat, and Jesus' disciples cry out to their master. They, They wake him up shouting, Master, Master, we are perishing. That word that the Ninevites once said they didn't want to happen to them. But this time, God in flesh calmed the storm. Jesus wakes up. He rebukes the wind and the raging waves, and they cease. There is an absolute calm. And he says to them, where is your faith? They were afraid and amazed and said to one another, who then is this? that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Jesus ended up in, later in his ministry to go to Jerusalem, and he crafted this beautiful, truth-filled sermon. All of these sermons about God's justice and forgiveness of sins, his love, his desire for people to repent. But he just says with pain in his voice, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you, you are not willing. Jesus gives the best possible sermons he can give because he wants them to work. He wants people to hear the truth and accept the truth. Even better than the words of Isaiah or Jeremiah, Jesus brings them the truth in flesh. He always wanted to go to Jerusalem because he always has loved his people. And shockingly, against all the odds, most of his people don't repent. They don't proclaim a fast or put on sackcloth. They don't issue a citywide proclamation of repentance. They conspire against Jesus. They try to trap Jesus. They try to deceive Jesus. They stir up crowds against Jesus. The chief priests, the scribes, and religious authorities over God's people 
bribe one of Jesus' disciples. Then they arrest Jesus under false pretenses, bring in witnesses against him that, you know, their stories don't make sense together one bit, and with a little bit of peer pressure, Jesus is crucified by Pontius Pilate. Jesus came with a message of salvation, but the people were merciless. Even though the truth himself was in their midst, they did not want to hear it because sometimes the truth doesn't always fit into our preconceived notions of the truth. When the truth comes and doesn't fit, well, what do you do but reject it? What do you do but kill it? There is a deep human desire for the truth. We don't always accept it when we hear it. We believe lies and misdirection and foolishness. Sometimes we can even prefer to be ignorant. But at the deepest level, I really do believe that we want someone to tell us the truth. But when the truth himself came to us, we killed him. But what is greater this time around is that the truth prevails. On the third day, Jesus, the Jewish prophet, was spit out of the deep darkness called Sheol. It was impossible for death to hold on to the truth. So the truth himself was raised from the dead, appeared to his disciples, showed them that he was the truth that could not, could not be defeated. Truth gave his disciples a mission. They're supposed to be witnesses to the truth. They have seen the truth and now supposed to teach others the truth. When one of his disciples gets up to preach, he preaches a real good sermon. Way better than that garbage Jonah was preaching. And his name is Peter. And he tells the crowds hard truths about Jesus. He says, God raised this Jesus to life. We're all witnesses of it. But you need to know we are the ones who crucified him. He is the way, the life, and the truth. And we killed him. And so cut to the heart, they ask Peter, what should we do? And Peter says, repent. And repent means to churn, to turn. It means to change your heart and mind. Sometimes we reject the truth entirely. We put it out of sight. We're like the religious authorities who killed Jesus. We expected the truth in one form, but when it comes to us, we simply reject it. Other times we're more like Jonah. We only want part of the truth that we like. Jonah loves God's wrath and justice, but he hates God's mercy and grace. But you cannot pick the parts of the truth that you like. The only proper response to the truth is to change your heart and mind according to it. The only proper response is to repent. 
Jesus once said these very difficult words, these difficult truths to a crowd following him. He says, this generation is an evil generation. It asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. Someone greater than Jonah has come and his name is Jesus. What will this generation do when we look at the sign of Jesus? Will we hate the truth? Will we reject it because it doesn't fit into our preconceived notions? Will we only accept parts of the truth that we like or will we repent? Will we turn away from lies? Will we change our hearts and minds according to the truth? Because the truth has come into our midst. The king of Nineveh asked, who knows? Maybe God will show mercy. Well, we know. We do know that God shows mercy to those who repent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for coming into our midst as the truth. You once sent prophets to bring us messages of truth from you, but now you have brought a greater prophet, a prophet with a greater sign, a prophet who is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. How much greater is that than what you once did? We pray that all of us in this room will not just accept parts of the truth we like or reject you, but that will repent, will change our hearts and minds according to you. We pray all these things in the name of the truth, Jesus Christ.